series is called Gods, and we'll talk about why we're doing that. Today's kind of the introduction to the series, uh, and I, it's, a, it's one of those that we actually did about seven years ago, um, and uh, we, we've talked about it as a staff and team. We talked about the needs of this year and what we really prayed through, how we're going to talk about different things this year, and it just kind of came up like, look, we need to do this again. You know, I mean, you can barely remember what I talked about a month ago, let alone seven years ago, so I'm not worried about you. Um, but for me, this is a huge thing for me, and it's an impact that this particular series kind of resonated with me, and it always has. And so we wanted to do it again. We wanted to remind ourselves uh, of these big, big foundational theological principles that we build our life on. Um, and uh, so we start off with this. This is how we want to start this off. And the question is for you, just to think in your mind, have you ever tried to negotiate with God? Okay. Have you ever tried to negotiate with God? Have you ever, and we call them sometimes bargain prayers, have you ever thrown up a bargain prayer to God? Like, God, if you will just do this, I will what? I will do this, right? That's a bargain prayer, right? That's, a, that's us trying to negotiate with God. God, if you'll, I mean, you know, everybody, listen, everybody does it. Even people who don't believe in Jesus do it. Even atheists, at some point, you lose your kid of carowinds, you start praying, you know? I mean, you just... You know, whoever it is, to whom it may concern, you know, if you will just do this, I'll change my ways. I'll do what needs to be done. That's a bargain prayer. That's something we, we throw up. Now, here's what's interesting about a bargain prayer or trying to negotiate with God. There's two principles that I want you to know that's going on. Number one, we believe that God knows us and cares, right? If we're negotiating with God, we throw up those bargain prayers, we're assuming those two things, right? That God knows your name, that he knows the situation that's going on in your life, that, he, that he's aware of your existence and the struggle or the issue that you're dealing with, even though sometimes we try to explain it to him like he did, doesn't really know what's going on. And we assume that he gives a rip, like we assume that he cares, right? That's, that's the first thing. The second thing that comes along with this that just infiltrates uh, the religious practices and has for centuries is that we believe we have something that God needs. We believe that we have something that God needs or at least really wants. He really wants from you. He really wants from me. And again, Every religion is kind of built on this premise, but we're going to talk about how today that's not actually true. There could be nothing further from the truth. I'm just going to read two passages to you to kind of help us. These are our foundational verses and passages, passages for the series. This is a doxology, uh, kind of a deep breath doxology to God in the midst of some very heavy theological stuff that Paul has written to the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome. Um, if you read just chapters 9, 10, 11, you're already kind of like, man, my brain hurts, you know? And he stops in the middle of sort of this, these deep theological discussions to just give a quick praise to God. This is what this doxology is. And he just says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable, okay, so you can't Google this, right? How unsearchable his judgments. You can't necessarily figure that out. And paths, his paths are beyond tracing out. You can't manipulate them. You can't predict them. You can't even see sometimes how things happened and went where they went. 
He goes on to say, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counselor? Now, again, most of us would like to be God's counselor, okay? Sometimes we approach him in prayer. God, I don't know if you know this, but if it were me, I would do this. I would fulfill this answer to prayer. I would make this happen. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And we're going to hit on this a lot today. Why? It says, well, look, from him and through him and for him are, what's the word? Yeah, are all things. Like, Paul's just giving this huge praise and says, look, from him come all things. Through him come all things. For him are all things. Here's another passage that Paul Another one of my favorites, where Paul is uh, talking to the to the uh, the Athenians in Greece, and he's uh, this is an Acts. We actually did this uh, several weeks ago in our in our Acts study, but he's sharing with them about the unknown God. He's trying to explain to them they had an altar to this unknown God, they, you know, ju- the just in case God. And I love this set of verses. He says he's the God. He's trying to explain who this God is. He said, "Look, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth." He doesn't live in man-made temples. Basically, his way of saying, he doesn't live in these altars or these temples that you've constructed. And human hands can't serve his needs. Why? He has, what's the word? He has no needs. Like, he doesn't have any needs. He himself actually gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And those are just the two theme verses for this series to bring us to this bottom line, this foundational truth that I want all of us to just take deep breaths and begin to live from. And here's a review of just those two verses. Okay, let's do a quick review. He's wealthy and riches in wisdom. He can't be contained or manipulated. His thoughts and ways are higher than our ways. He doesn't owe anyone anything. All things are from him, through him, and for him. He created the world and everything in it keep going. He's Lord of everything. He doesn't live in anything man-made. He cannot be served by human hands. He has zero needs. He gives life and breath to everything, and he alone satisfies everyone's needs. That's just those two passages. So the bottom line that we're starting with, and you will hear repeated over and over and over and over again in this series, is that everything, right? Everything we have is what? God's. See why we call the series God's? right? It's pretty simple. Everything we have is God's. From our stuff, like the, like the, the, the awesome video showed, from our houses and our stuff and our DVDs, if you have those anymore, I still do, DVDs and, you know, our cars, our money, everything we can physically touch, uh, our, includes our, ben, our uh, talents, our abilities, our passions, our brains, our education, our beliefs, everything belongs to him. They come from him. We, we function in them through him. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity. I love this old book. <clears throat> it says, every faculty you have, it's not going to us, your power of thinking or moving your limbs from moment to moment was given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, <laughs> you could not give him anything. That was not, in a sense, his own already. 
You really couldn't. Even if you gave it all, there's a wonderful 1 Corinthians, like if I, if I gave it all back, if I did all these things, like here's C.S. Lewis saying, look, it's already his. Even if you did nothing but this for the rest of your life, you still weren't actually paying him back anything or giving him something more. It was all his to begin with. And it, and it hopefully begins to help us understand the false thinking that comes in religious systems. I mean, again, all religious systems, including Christianity, the false thinking that people begin to think that God needs something from you, that he wants something from you, right? You're, you're, you make those bargain prayers, and you're like, oh, God, if you'll just do this, you know, I swear, I mean, you're, you know, you're watching from home today, and you probably could have made it, but it was a little rainy and coldy, and I understand, and, uh, you know, and all of a sudden, something bad happens this week, and you, you throw that prayer up, and you're like, God, I, I learned my lesson. I'll go back to church, I promise, you know? Just close this deal. Make this happen. Don't let this, you know, Sometimes we'll do that and we'll, we'll start putting the dots together. But here's, here's that faulty line of thinking that God needs something. And then when you hear everything, when you read scripture, when you, when you read uh, you know, what we put out online, when, when you hear people talking about what God says in his word, you, you filter all of that through that faulty uh, uh, filter. That God needs and wants something from you versus what is the actual reality God needs nothing from you. He desires the best for you. That when you actually read scripture and you actually begin to understand his word, that even some of the things he calls us to, is it because it's, he's just this needy, you know, you know lonely sort of uh, deity that's this, just constantly wants and needs servitude? doesn't need anything from us. But the reality is, the truth is, that when he calls us to things, when he tells us to do things, when he calls us away from things, it's for us. It's for our good, right? He works all things together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. It's for us. That's his desire. So even when you read scripture, it can change. It can drastically change how we see this when we understand that everything is his. Is it the, without, we don't operate in response to God because he needs something from any one of us. Yet, we're all going to live in a very, very, very specific tension that happens internally. And I, I want you to hear this clearly. Uh, it's going to be easier said than done today in terms of recognizing this tension and actually doing work with it, actually beginning to see change in it in your life. Because it's a strong, I call it kind of gravitational pull and drift that all of us struggle with. And it starts really early. I'll give you a quick example. What are two, we have some kids in the room, what are two words that kids do not have to be taught? No is one of them, yep, no. What's the other one? Oh, everybody knew that one right? No and mine, right? Like, like no, like for some reason, kids just don't need to be taught that. They come out of the womb. Mm-mm. <laughs> Not doing that. I don't know what you think you're doing, right? And mine. And this is something that's just beyond me. Like, even when they don't even have the words to express it, they can express the emotion. Like, this is a picture. Like, that kid just had something taken away, 
that he thought was what? His. He thought it was mine. Right? Like he doesn't even know how to maybe even say the words. I think he could say mine, but he may not be able to have the, the intellectual reasoning for it. But that's the feeling, man. It comes deep. It's deeply rooted. You just took it away and it was mine. They get older and it gets a little more subtle, right? It gets a little more subtle. Don't touch it. That's mine, right? Don't touch it. It's mine. It might get a little bit more subtle, but here's the problem. It stays with us, okay? And even though we're taught, you know, everything I learned in kindergarten was to share and, you know, do all these things and we try to use all the right words. And even as parents, guys, as parents, we see, we see children that own nothing, that think they own things, right? <laughs> like we see it. And as parents, we try to help them. Like even when they're getting older and you just look at them and you just laugh, you own nothing. You're homeless vagrants, right? <laughs> like that's what you are. You know, we have to, we have to send you to school. The state makes us right? Like there's all these things that, and yet, and yet, honestly, we'll talk about it a little bit, but honestly, like it's not only starts strong, but it can stay strong in us. And that pull, I just want you to hear this from me. The pull to mine, mine is so strong that no matter how we sort of acknowledge up here, we sort of nod our heads. Oh yeah, everything is God's. We read two verses. Oh yeah, there's all this stuff that tells us that everything is God. He doesn't need anything from us. That's great. We drift so quickly to what's mine, especially when it comes to what we think God wants from us. Our talents, our passions, our ability, our resources, our stuff. Man, we so quickly drift to mine, right? Everything we have is God's. Now, there's a question that comes along with this, especially even as parents see it. There's a question that says this, why have we been given everything? Okay, and I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but why have you been given everything that you've been given? Okay, if you think about your life, why have you, you been given what you've been given? If you think again about it from a parent's perspective, you have children, everything you give your children is for a reason, right? You feed them healthy things. Why? Because you want them to be healthy, right? You, 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 you encourage them. You give them educational you know, building blocks and you send them to school. Why? Because you want them to be educated, right? You want the best for them. You know, you give them, you give them opportunities in, in sports and, you know, opportunities to see if they're going to be a star athlete and support you one day, right? Like that's, that's, that's really why you do that because they might just make it. You, you, there's always a reason why you give your children something. Have you ever really asked the question, why did your heavenly father entrust you with what you've been given? It's a great question. And again, it's part of why we wanted to do this series. We think it's an important question to wrestle with. Now, I look at the scripture and I see kind of, again, from the big broad picture, um, there's a purpose for why. We as followers of Christ have been given everything we've been given. We can even see some of its roots in Genesis and the early creation you know, story. We can see some of the, the whys there if you want to pick something as part. But I, I love this particular passage when we go back to the calling of Abram. 
The calling of Abraham, our, our, our sort of Christian forefather, if you would. He's, there's a calling that happens. And you, you might remember some of the stories, like he, he went out and took him out and looked at the stars and said, you know, look at the stars. That's going to be you. That's going to be your, your children and your nation. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He told him to look at the sand. You know, he was surrounded by sand. So here's the sand, you know. You know, look at all the sand. It's going to be, can you count them? No, I can't count them. Well, that's going to be you. But this is the first conversation. And it's so crystal clear in terms of the way God just sort of called him out and said, here's what I'm doing for you, and it's for a reason. This is in Genesis 12. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, which he has. And I'm going to bless you. If you read his story, like, I mean, he was blessed in every way. Not only blessed, eventually he had Isaac, and not only blessed financially, and I mean, he would just pick up stuff along the way, and God would just bless him and set him up for the nation, for his kids, and you know, for the entire nation of Israel. I'm going to make you famous. Everyone knows who Abraham is. And you're going to be a blessing to others. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's in verse 3. So when you start looking at this, you say, okay, well, even from this moment, even why would God choose a people? There was a reason. There was a purpose. He would give his people everything, and he says, Look, I'm going to give you guys me. I'm going to give you everything you could possibly need. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you, just think about the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to give you opportunity. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you protection. I'm going to do these things, but it's not just for you, because he is going to bless you, but he says, I want to bless you so that you can bless others. Everyone in the world is going to be blessed through you. Now, there's a big prophetic part of that too, which is the coming of Christ. You know, it goes back to some of the prophecy in terms of the, you know, we talked about the branch of Jesse and things like that. Like, there's so much that we read into this, but it's, it's this beautiful picture. Like, look, it's never just been about you. Now, here's the problem. As you read the Old Testament, you constantly see the struggle <laughs> back and forth where, where the Jewish people would sort of huddle up because they believed that the religion and that everything God was doing is for them and for them alone because they wouldn't really obey what he called them to do. He would, they just wanted the benefits that benefited them. And then they would lose the benefits, and then they would cry out, and they would struggle, and then God would send prophets and kings. And, you know, guys, it's not just about you, and God wants to bless you, but, you know, you got to do what he's called you to do. He's going to bless you as you bless others. Beautiful passage in, in Jeremiah where he says, look, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to do so much through you. You're in exile right now. But even in exile, I'm going to make the cities prosper as you help them prosper. Even while you're in exile, even while you're in judgment. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful when you start reading through this lens of why there was this purpose of everything that God did for his people. And then Jesus comes along. And again, Jesus comes along. It's at the height of another kind of time in which the Jewish people have sort of huddled up. It's 400 years. They haven't heard anything from God, no new prophecies. They've sort of huddled up. It's us versus them. It's us versus the Romans. We're the victims. We're looking for a Messiah to come and bless us and no one else. Bless us and crush the Romans. Bless us. And Jesus comes in and sort of resets the table, resets the expectations of what God's religion really was supposed to be about. 
how he doesn't need anything from us, but everything he's doing is a desire for us, for others. It comes from him and through him and to him are all things. Jesus would give a few examples like this. He said, you're the light of the world, talking to the followers of of him. He says, look, this is, this is the way this is supposed to work. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. And he goes, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. This is Jesus' way of giving illustration. It says, wouldn't that look stupid? Wouldn't that look dumb? No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand to give light to everyone. It's supposed to benefit who? Everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. And everyone's going to praise your heavenly father. Everybody's going to know why you did what you did. Everybody's going to see those things and know why you are the way you are. As he's blessed you and you bless others. Even at the end, even though he, even his final words, Jesus came to them and said this. Look, all authority, everything on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go. What? Well, you go into all the nations. You go and you make disciples. You go and you baptize. You go and you teach them everything I've taught you. You go and take it, take what I've given you, and go and do what I've called you to do. That's the reason we've been given everything. Everything you've been given has been given for that reason, for you not to just have, not to just enjoy but to do something with, to go. Now, to, uh, and I say this because a lot, we're going to start using some words that oftentimes are only used when talking about money, okay? Now, I want to give everybody a deep breath this morning. We're not talking about money this morning, okay? So everybody just calm down, all right? We're not, no special collection today, okay? It's no money today, but listen, money's a part of things because money's a part of our lives. So I I get that. But we use some of the words sometimes exclusively with money when it's not really exclusively about money. It's an understanding, a theological understanding of why you've been given everything you've been given. And two bad theologies have sort of, I don't know when they came up, but they've been plaguing the church, the Christian religion for a long time, at least as long as I've been alive and my parents before me. And and they're just bad. They're a bad view of God. They're a bad view of what he, why he gave us everything he gave us. And on one end is this thing called the prosperity gospel. You guys ever heard of this? It's the prosperity gospel. It's this idea that God wants to bless you and God wants you to have all good things and he wants you to be rich and it's all gotta be, you know, tinted gold. And, you know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be this sort of this idea that if the more you have, the more of a reflection it is of God's faithfulness to you, or even worse, it's your faithfulness to God. And on the other side, a little less known, a little less prominent, but still pretty big in some cultures, is sort of the poverty gospel. You're really not supposed to have anything. You're not supposed to, nothing's really supposed to belong to you. I mean, every, if everything is God's and everything is his and think about how much more he could do and you just need a robe, you know, like monks, you don't really need anything as long as you're fed one or two meals a day. How, and, and there's a lot of shame and guilt that come with that. How dare you indulge yourself? How dare you own the things you own? How many cars do you really need? How many houses do you really need? 
How many clothes and shoes do you really need? Does that make sense? <clears throat> now listen, hear me. Both are bad theologies, right? Both have these roots of scripture in them, but then they're twisted and turned into something they weren't intended to be. They're bad theologies. They're bad ways to see and understand God. And yet, they really plague the Christian church, especially when it comes to some of the words we're getting ready to, to use. Now, I want you to hear it again for me. You shouldn't feel bad about enjoying the things that you have. Okay? I mean, I'm serious. Like, don't, don't feel bad about enjoying the things that you've been given, that you've been blessed with. If you've been blessed with them, you've been blessed with them for a reason, and that's what we're going to be talking about. But, you know, some people are smarter than others. There's doctors in the room. I couldn't do what you do. There's mechanics in the room. I can't do what you do. Your brains work differently. You give a benefit, you know, if you can make gold. If you're one of these people who everything you touch turns to gold, baby, make gold, okay? Like, I'm telling you. Don't ever deny that, that God's not done that. First Timothy tells us that we've been given everything richly to enjoy. But there is a difference, and here's going to be what we're talking about over the next several weeks. There is a difference in how we view those things in terms of ownership versus stewardship. And again, stewardship is usually only talked about in terms of money. And yet it's so much more than that. Stewardship just means you're a manager of something that you've been given. Okay, stewardship, that's what stewardship is. There are people on boats called stewards, like they have a very similar title to what they're called to do. So there's ownership and there's stewardship. Now the problem is here. Owners and ownership usually results in sort of an entitlement, like, like mindset, like you're, you're entitled to things. But stewardship brings with it this idea that you're responsible for something, that, you, that you, you, do, you do have it, but you're responsible for something else, like you're responsible for it. So you see the difference is I, I, both people have it, but the person who thinks he owns it feels entitled to it, gets comfortable with it, you know, doesn't want to risk it, has fear of losing it. The person who has it and feels responsible for it or responsible for, to do something with it feels differently and just operate. Both have it, both have it, but both of them view it differently. Uh, there's a great language in this particular verse. Um, this is Paul talking about to the church in Corinth. He was talking about um, the religion. He was talking about the faith, the, the, the way. And they were arguing about, well, should we follow Paul or should we follow Peter? Um, you know, is it Peter's religion? Is it Paul's religion? Like, who, who's the one with authority? But, you know, and it was neither one. But I love the words here because Paul is basically saying, look, look at Apollos and Peter and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Like, that's who we are. No one owns this. Peter doesn't own this. I don't own this. Like, we're just servants. We're stewards. A person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful, meaning that if you've been put in charge of this, like, our job is just to be faithful to what we've been put in charge of. And I love that language. That's why I chose that verse. Like it's, it's a good language and an idea to get around in terms of even just the big picture of stewardship. I'm going to be faithful to the responsible to because of that ownership and because of that stewardship. Ownership is going to drive the entitlement, the rights. Now, 
The reason we struggle with it is because when you're an owner and you struggle with this, you know, sort of like it's mine, drift, it's primarily because, hear the root, it's primarily because if it's yours, you get to control it, okay? If it's yours, you get to have a say in what happens and what's done. I get to control it. And yet, if it's, if it's God's, if it's his, what's really supposed to happen is it's supposed to bring us freedom. It's supposed to bring us freedom. And yet not everybody feels that. So let's talk about that just for a minute, okay? This drift, it's mine. We want to take control of it, right? We take pride of those things that we can control. Our careers, our stuff, you know, my life, my destiny, my future, my health, my wealth. You know, there's a lot, of, there's, a lot there's books written about this. There's so much self-help about this, even on YouTube. Like, there's so much, there's, I mean, this is what life coaches do, okay? Is, is help you try to control what's yours, your calling, your destiny, your purpose. And it's everything that it entails in your life to try to control it. And yes, age does bring some perspective, okay? I will tell you, the older I have gotten, the less in control I feel of anything, Okay? Including my body. Right? Like the older you get, the less in control you feel versus how young you are. So there is perspective. But listen, the younger you get this, the better off you're going to be. Okay? Just hear me. The younger you get this, the better off you're going to be. That just because you think you own it and it's yours is the false thinking. It's going to set you up for failure just because you think you control it. Right? Have you ever had a career or owned a business that you thought was yours to have it taken away, to have the market dry up, to have the product no longer be needed? Uh, Hello, the pandemic, right? Oh, you thought you were in control because it was your career and it was your job and it it was your future only to have it taken away. How many thought you had a car that was yours until a deer came out and hit it, right? I know that's a, that's a, that's a thing in the South. You know, some, maybe, maybe you had something else happen. Somebody dented the fender and the place totals your car. And you thought it was yours, but it wasn't really. How many of you think that wealth is yours only to see the market stripped away and your retirement go to nothing? How many of you guys thought that health was yours to control? And you disciplined your body and you disciplined what's happened. You had pictures of you and Instagram and at the gym and all that kind of thing. And guys, only to have a, something serious happen and you lost function. You might have even lost future function. Like, I'm just telling you, there's, there's something about this. So, again, we will drift towards it. It's so strong to want to say that it's mine, to, to operate as if it's really mine and ours that we get to control. But our quest to control hinders us from the freedom of stewardship, from the freedom of living in such a way that it's all his. It's all his. Like, like if you hear stewardship and there's something in you that's kind of like, uh, I'm probably going to be busy the next couple weeks. Versus if you hear stewardship and you just take big, deep breaths of a reminder, oh, yes, whoo. It's a good reminder. 
Everything is God's. Everything is his. Like, listen, guys, when, when stewardship is really understood, when you really understand it, it's a breath of satisfaction. It's a breath of joy. Like, you don't understand, why would you ever be worried if it's all his? Right? Why would you ever be concerned? Why would there ever be anxiety in your life if it all belongs to him? It all came from him. It's all to him. It's all through him. Why? Why would you not risk why would you not leverage every opportunity? Why would you hold back? Why would you not give everything that you have and everything that's been given to you away when it's all his? When, when Galatians said, look, it's for freedom you've been set free. Don't be enslaved to the law. Don't be enslaved to the rules. Don't be enslaved to this, this religious process that you think you're trying to figure out and work with God. Like, there's freedom to be had in Christ. And if you're a Christian and you don't feel more free with your resources and more free with your stuff and more free with your passion and more free with your talents and abilities, and you still are living this life of anxiety and worry and fear and concern, you're not doing the stewardship right. You don't understand it. Because with stewardship comes freedom. It's that big, deep breath that just goes, oh, it's all his. It's all his. Why would I be worried? Why would I be concerned? Paul would say, look, my, my stomach's been full. My stomach's been empty. I'm content all the same. My purse has been full. My purse has been empty. Content all the same. Why? Because I have him. Because it all comes from him. This idea of control and mine is big. Now let me just go ahead and tell you, this is a parable. I'm not going to read the parable to you today. Um, well, you can take a picture of it or write it down. There's a reference for you to read it. We might look at it again towards the end of the series. I'm not sure, but this is a great parable. But I want to go to the lesson of the parable, not get caught up in the middle of kind of the parable. The parable is very simple. It's just a Jesus. Jesus gives a story, an illustration of a master and his servants. The master gives his servants a bunch of resources called talents. You know, he gives more to one and some more to another and some more and a little less to another. And he leaves. And these guys go out, at least two or three, two out of the three do. They go out and they use and they leverage and they multiply. And then the master returns and wants to get a report and an account of what's been entrusted to his servants. And two of the three come back and they're like, oh, Aaron, look at God, look what everything you gave me. And, I, and we, you know, I used it and look, there's like, I got five, I got five more. I got 10, I got 10 more. And the master was happy. The master was like, oh, beautiful. Let's party. That's the actual version. Yeah, let's party. But one, the one in the story who was fearful and was trying to control the outcome, hid it, buried it. And the master was not pleased and curses the one. And at the end of the story, and this is where I want to pull out, at the end of the story, he, he's teaching the lesson. He's teach, using the story to teach a lesson. And he, he's, again, teaching this lesson about everything is God's. And he says, look, I want to help you guys understand this. And he says this. 
He says, to those who believe in what they're given, even more will be given. Doesn't that sound good? Now, you got to remember this MDV version. This is the Matt Dawson version, okay? So you got to look at your own Bible. That's not what it says. You don't trust what I put on the screen. I can put anything on the screen. But yet, this is often how we operate. Look, whoever believes in all the things that come from God, and I, I just, I believe they're all his. Thank you, God. I appreciate that. We believe in all of it, that we're going to be blessed more. Sometimes we think to those who defend correctly what they've been given, we'll be blessed more. Oh, I've not only believed, but I believed rightly. Okay. I believed the truth and I defended it. I didn't let anybody say anything against it. I mean, I defended it. Sometimes we think it's to those who preserve perfectly what they've been given. Again, that's what one of, that's what one of the servants did. He, he buried it. He wanted to preserve perfectly. Don't let anything, don't let the culture you know, infiltrate it at all. Don't let anything be you know, questionable. Preserved it perfectly. Surely I'll be blessed. Well, that's all my version. Here's what it actually says. Here's what Jesus pulls out and says as he teaches. To those who, read the words out loud. Yet to those who use well what they've been given, more will be given. And they have, will have an abundance. But from those who, what's the two words? Yeah, from those who do nothing. Even what little they have will be taken away. Right? So he gives this picture and he teaches this lesson that, look, it has everything to do with what you do with what you've been given. So you've been given everything on a purpose. Everything comes from God. But it's been given to you with a purpose and for a purpose. You're either going to do something with it. You're going to use it well, or you're going to do nothing. Jesus paints the picture that there's only good stewards and bad stewards. There's no middle ground. There's no halfway doing it, right? You've heard me say this before. Almost doing something is the same as doing nothing, right? Almost doing something. I had intentions to do it. I had motive to do it. I was going to do it one day. I just needed to get caught up. Almost doing something is still doing nothing. You're either a good steward or a bad one. So the question is, what are you doing with what God has given you? Your talents, your passion, your ability, your time, your schedule, your youth, your health, your resources, the stuff you can touch and feel, the stuff that you've put sticky notes on. What are you doing with it? Are you using it well? If you ever wondered and were ever concerned, well, I'm gonna give you the second half of the bottom line and then I'm gonna clarify it for you. This is the second half. Right? Everything we have is God's, and everything we have is ours to manage. Steward, just so you keep that word in your, in your mind, manage and enjoy as we bless others. To manage and enjoy as we bless others. If you've never really had the satisfaction and the joy that comes from being able to bless others, you don't understand stewardship. It's amazing. To be able to bless others, to be able to do for others, to be able to take, meet needs, time, schedule, resources, it doesn't matter. 
If you think you own things, you know, you know the adage, the, the, the old phrase, right? You think you own things, but they really own you, right? You think you own that house, you think you own that boat, you think you own those cars, you think you own those things, but they own you. They own your resources, they own your schedule, they own your time. They own your, they own your, your calendar, right? Like they own you. But if it all comes from him, if it's all his, then there's the freedom that we're talking about. It's freedom. It's freedom to meet needs. It's freedom to give when, we, when we're called to give. It's freedom to, it's freedom to be generous. It's freedom to say yes when it's easier and more convenient to say no. Like it's, and it's not meant to be begrudging. It's meant to just bring life to you and me. Because God desires this for you, not something from you. Yes, and have you ever, if you've ever wondered what Jesus meant by the whole use it well, like three verses later, okay, right after he tells the story, right after he <coughs> gives the parable and says, use well what you've been given, he gives the illustration of what using well means. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones, the church people, right? The, the people who, who claim to be followers will then say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Like when did that happen? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I will tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you were using well, what I had given you with, what I have blessed you with to bless them, you were doing it to me. Jesus makes it very personal. You can't muddy this up. He makes it very personal. When you use it well, everything you've been given, it's like you're using it for him. It's like you're doing it for him. That's what using well means. It, 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 we have to work hard to make this unclear. It's clear. It doesn't mean that it's easy. Why? Because you and I are going to have a constant drift. We're going to have a constant pull. Oh, everything is God's. Yes. Let's read the bottom line again. Everything we have is God's. Yes, true. Everything we have is ours to manage, steward, and enjoy and bless others. Yes. Good job, Matt. Good sermon today. Appreciate you keeping me awake. It's good. Good stuff. You're going to leave here to your car and your lunch and your family. You go to your house with your worries and your concerns and your problems for your job and your career and your future. And on and on and on it goes. So we don't live from it. And that's why we're doing the series. <laughs> we want to live from this. Here's a great exercise we're going to end with. Why don't you guys stand up? Let's stand up together, get some exercise, get the blood pumping. Uh, ladies, if you have a purse, uh, hold your purse out, bring, you know, kind of hold it in your hands if you'll pick it up off the floor or the chair beside you. Men, if you'll grab your wallet or keys. <clears throat> Everybody grab their phone. We're going to collect them in just a minute. 
kidding. Just kidding. You're glad you stayed home today, aren't you? All right. No. I just want, I just want you to kind of hold it out if you can. Hold your purse that's got everything in it. Hold your keys. Hold your wallet, your phone. And I, I just want you to think for a minute. We're just going to take a couple seconds, okay? Just think about what this represents in my life. Like, like seriously, think about what it represents. Like, my security, my future, my wealth, what I put my hope in, how much credit I can borrow. Like, what does this represent to you? I got, gosh, I got my cars, my home, my job, my career, office keys. my relationships, my contacts, the people in my life, my network, ooh, my social media platforms. Guys, are we using them well? Are we using them well? We're good stewards or we're bad ones. That's not to lay guilt on you, it's to tell you that when you read scripture and you want, to, you want to really get into what God wants for you, he doesn't want anything from you. This is not what he wants from you. But he has given you all of this for you to use. For you to use well as we bless others. Let's just pray over these things today. Keep them in your hands and just pray with me. God, for everything that we hold and what it represents in our life, Correct our thinking, correct our thinking. I mean, if we put hope in finances, God, correct our thinking. Correct our thinking in terms of the fact that we feel like all of these things in our hands are ours, that they're mine, they belong to us, that we've worked hard for these things, we, we deserve these things, we're entitled to these things. God, just break our hearts, correct our thinking. Help us remember the purpose that if everything is yours, everything belongs to you and comes from you, that you've given it to us for a reason. And may we all just wrestle with the challenge today of just, are we using it well? Are we using it well? And as we talk about this over the next several weeks, give us moments, give us opportunities, create opportunities, God, for us to take everything we've been given and to use for your glory. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.